You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We've been hearing a lot lately about President Donald Trump's alleged extramarital affair with an adult film actress and an attempt to silence her with some hush money. It's just the latest in a long string of salacious scandals involving Trump that would have sunk most other politicians. Trump famously bragged about sexually assaulting women, a story that has un- was uncovered late in his candidacy, and he has a well-documented history of using demeaning language about women and other marginalized groups. None of these things seem to have done any real damage to his base of support. Some speculate the reason is that Trump never claimed to be morally exceptional or even morally decent, and yet white evangelicals, a morally righteous group, voted for Trump by a wide margin, and there's no indication that support for him has wavered among that group. That's partly due to Trump's stances against abortion, in favor of conservative judges, and in favor of religious liberty, at least Christian religious liberty. But not all evangelical Christians are happy with their fellow congregants' support of Trump. A recent article in the New York Times profiles people of color who attend predominantly white Christian churches. Reporter Campbell Robertson says many black congregants are leaving those churches. That's after Trump's profane and derogatory comments about African countries and Haiti during immigration talks, his public hostility toward black NFL players, and his comments that there were, quote, good people among the racists marching in Charlottesville. We want to talk now about the idea of black and white evangelicals, the split that exists among them when it comes to President Trump and his policies. And we're going to talk about the effort that was underway before to bring those two groups together. White evangelical churches were reaching out to African-Americans for some time, thinking that they could heal the divide between those two groups. Has Donald Trump alone made that worse? Has he sent that relationship in another direction. Joining us now to talk more about it is Campbell Robertson. He is the reporter with the New York Times who wrote recently about this issue. Campbell, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me on. Also here is Shaniqua Walker-Barnes. She's an associate professor of practical theology at Mercer University in Atlanta. She recently left the white majority church where she had been on staff. We're going to start with Campbell here. Um, let's talk about this article you wrote, and what. let's start with what, what attracted you to this idea. What was it that said this was uh, a trend that was unfolding in the United States? Well, I didn't start out looking at this particularly. I was sort of exploring on whether there were some overlaps or, or where the— uh, church, how the church was dealing with the rise of the alt-right. This was around the time that the Southern Baptist Convention uh, had trouble passing a resolution condemning the alt-right. But when I was calling around talking to folks who studied and looked closely at church and race, they, uh, particularly the evangelical church, they kept talking about this, uh, this, I guess trend might be the word, but the the fact that... um, the efforts at integration over the past few decades were seeming to unravel. It hasn't been quantified yet, but everybody was seeing it. And what struck me most 
and you know this as a journalist. I mean, you you hear echoes of uh, of things when you talk to all different people and mm-hmm. you try to sort of look closely to find a pattern. But I mean, every I would talk to people in in completely different parts of the country, totally different circumstances, who didn't even know anyone else was going through this, and they would the timeline was the same, the words were the same. They describe uh, the the sensations the same way, and I and and I thought this is a this is a big thing going on that yeah. we need to know about. Yeah, and and this idea of um, uh, this idea of of the schism that is is reopening, I guess, uh, between black and white evangelicals. Talk a little more about um, about what that's about. Is, is it just about race? Or are there some other dynamics that are at work here making making this relationship uh, a little more strained uh, well, under the Trump administration? Um, uh, there certainly political differences um, polling has shown between uh, white self-identified evangelicals and black self-identified evangelicals. But in, in the, some of the folks I talked to, um, the the black Christians I talked to were Republicans and. You know, the churches they attended were pretty uh, reliably conservative, and this, you know, this is not why they left. Mm-hmm. But it really started uh, around the Zimmerman verdict, uh, Eric Gardner, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, Walter Scott, and the fact that they couldn't even talk about race. It was just they would bring it up, and people would say, you're being divisive, we're keeping our eyes on the kingdom. Um, this isn't. This has nothing to do with the gospel. We don't talk politics, but you could talk about anything else in politics, just not race. Right. And right. that's where it kind of started. So it predated Trump. And then I think with, with the Trump election, a lot of folks looked around and said, well, before it was they just don't know what's going on, and now they're actively supporting something that I have said is causing you know, great concern um, to me and folks in my community. And they were basically just told, well, just don't worry about it. And, uh, or, or that, you know, Trump was prophesied to win or uh, things about Obama was leading us to apostasy. And, and I think that, so Trump accelerated something that was already going on, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Shaniqua, uh, talk about the, the, the background that you have with this, uh, with this issue. Um, and talk about your religious affiliations and your faith and what brought you to work in a predominantly white uh, evangelical church. Yeah, um, my, my introduction to this has probably been a little bit different than some of the other people that um, Campbell talked to. Um, I don't really identify as an evangelical. I'm someone who does a lot of work on racial justice, class issues, gender issues, Mm -hmm. and became involved with um, some organizations that are kind of on that evangelical social justice in um, the Christian Community Development Association, Sojourners, other groups sort of like that. Um, And so I began doing the work with them um, initially not really knowing um, that they were um, had kind of evangelical ties, um, but really found myself in a place where I actually could talk about race and a diverse group of Christians could talk about issues of class. Um, and, and 
and could could do that. And so one of the things that I was really interested in was multicultural churches um, and multiracial churches. So um, the, the church that I left was not so much predominantly white numerically as it was culturally white. Mm-hmm. A lot of um, multiracial churches end up being churches where there are people that look different, but they really all have the same culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was actually um, my, my issue and discontentment um, was that we could not then probe these issues um, at anything other than a surface level. Um, we kind of did the all sides, right? The church kind of did the, well, we don't want to take a side, um, even as some of these really heinous things were being said by um, a then presidential candidate um, and then president. Um, but my my search for kind of like-minded people who were serious about issues of, of racial justice has led me to be um, affiliated with a, a wide array of different organizations, some predominantly black, some predominantly white, some very, very mixed. Um, but for me, I think what Kimball is talking about is, is, is right on point, that for me and many other people I know who do similar work, the exodus really began the day after the George Zimmerman verdict. Oh. Um, that verdict came down, I think, either a Friday night or Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, many of us were just reeling, having followed that, um, followed the, the, the murder of Trayvon Martin, um, having been active in trying to get um, some justice for that. And we were mourning And we went to church on Sunday morning, hoping we would hear a word of comfort. And many of us who went to either multiracial or predominantly white spaces found no word of comfort. We found no word at all. And it was very striking because when there had been the other incidents, Sandy Hook is one that stands out. There had been space in, in worship for mourning. There had been a space where you would hear people in the congregation just crying and lamenting together about what had happened and where it was addressed from the pulpit. And so many of us began to talk about that, even on social media. Um, I remember Lisa Sharon Harper, formerly with Sojourners, wrote an article about her experience of going to church and nothing being said, and many people resonating with that. And then it continued to happen. So the next one was the Michael Dunn verdict and the killing of Jordan Davis. Um, It was the the, um, Michael Brown murder. It was the Eric Garner murder. It was Sandra Bland. It was over and over again. And so many of us got to the point where after these major incidents that happened, we didn't go to our churches. Wow. We would go to another church because we knew going to church would probably just make us even angrier. It would add salt to an open wound. Um, So we would go to other churches where we thought we might hear something. We would tune in um, to a church um, in another part of the country where we knew we would hear something, often churches under um, black leadership or the leadership of other people of color, um, or we stayed home. Hmm. And the, 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 the election of Donald Trump, not so much the election, but the overwhelming support of white evangelicals for um, Donald Trump, it was just the final nail in the coffin for many of us in our relationship with evangelicalism. Yeah, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guests are Campbell Robertson. He's a reporter for The New York Times. Uh, and Shaniqua Walker-Barnes, an associate professor of practical theology at Mercer University in Atlanta. She recently left the white majority church where she had been on staff. We're talking about the split between black and white evangelicals. They claim to have the same religious beliefs, but 
do their political beliefs? Does race make them uh, in unable anymore to sit next to each other in the pews on Sundays? Campbell, uh, when I was uh, a young editorial writer in Lexington, Kentucky, I once wrote, uh, I was writing a series about race and the schools there, uh, urging the school board and other advocates to do better by the black children uh, in that district who were a pretty distinct minority who had an unfair uh, burden of integration through busing, all kinds of things. And I can remember that uh, this was a conversation that was going on in that community for a long time. And it turned for one of the board members when he said he was sitting in church on Sunday and the pastor started uh, sermonizing about this issue and calling him out almost by name, right? Saying, this is an issue that's gone on in this community. This is a d- discussion that's going on in this community, a debate. And we want things to be better. Um, and that board member called me angry, just furious the next week uh, and said, you know, I have a right to be able to go to church and not hear about race. I have a right to be able to go to church and not hear about this issue that you are writing about all the time in the newspaper. And that, that story has always stuck with me because I think uh, it, 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 gets to, um, it gets to the personal nature of people's religious beliefs and how they want to sometimes separate that from, from politics. But it also, I think, gets to a difference between whites and, and blacks when it comes to the role that religion plays. I think... And maybe, maybe, maybe I'm uh, assuming too much here, but I, I, I feel as though there's this expectation that uh, certain politics should stay out of church on the part of, of, of white Americans. And for African Americans, the church has been a central part of those politics. And, and race is sort of at the center of that divide. Well, Dr. Walker Barnes uh, is... is probably better position to talk about a lot of this than I am. But uh, I also think it's what you define what's political and what's deeper than politics. Um, a lot of the, uh, the white folks who talk about this that I, that I came across would say, well, you know, we'll, 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 we'll focus on these certain things like abortion and religious liberty, and, and we'll fix the other things too. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a real attitude toward what can we do to fix this and move on and and I think people of color say it's just not that simple you can't put out a statement you can't have a meeting you can't preach one sermon appoint one associate pastor of color and it's done um and I and I think you know I think the difference is you know how deep do you have to go to really start talking about reconciliation? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think white folks think, uh, you know, we have 15% of our congregation is people of color, and so we've reconciled. So let's talk about other stuff. Yeah. And, and I think people of color are like, it's just, it's, you can't do it that quick. I mean, it reminds me of that famous line from St. Augustine, Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. <laughs> you know, they, they just want to, <laughs> you know, you just want to be able to go through and say... Uh, well, I did it, but then I don't have to really wrestle with my own role or sort of larger forces in society, all that kind of stuff. I think there's a real mood 
among a lot of whites, even those who really talk up multiracial issues, that this is something they can address over here and then move on to other things. Yeah. And, I, and I just don't think it's that simple for a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, Shaniqua Walker-Barnes, I want to get you to, to respond to that same anecdote that, that I told there, this, this idea that uh, of offense uh, on the part of this white school board member that he had to sit in church and listen to his pastor talk about race because of something that was being written in the newspaper. I do think that that sort of captures some of the difference here in terms of expectation um, when when you walk into the church on Sunday. Yes, I think absolutely. I mean, that, that nails it completely. And this is really... Um, a problem that is at the heart of white Christianity, and it stems back to slavery. If you can imagine a pastor in the 17 or 1800s in America, whether the South or the North or the Midwest, having to preach on Sunday to a congregation full of slaveholders, right? A congregation full of people um, that were committing, even as the service was going on, any any multitude of sins to keep the system of slavery intact. Mm -hmm. And so what happened was white Christianity in America evolved to not address the issue, right? We're going to pretend that that doesn't happen. We're going to pretend that you are, you can, you can see yourself as good Christian people um, whose, whose racial sins um, are absolutely divorced from your faith um, and from your from your religion um, and from your salvation, right? And so that continues today. The black church evolved in a very different context. The black church evolved not as a way to escape the reality or to condone um, this sin, but rather to enable people to, to live and thrive and survive in the midst of this oppression. And so for the black church, it, it is very central discussing these issues, addressing these issues, any issue that affects the, the well-being of, of, of black people is something that is a little bit more entrenched in many, certainly not all, um, African-American churches, but especially kind of the historic black church tradition. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here. We'll be right back on Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guests are Campbell Robertson. He's a reporter with The New York Times. Also here is Shaniqua Walker-Barnes, an associate professor of practical theology at Mercer University in Atlanta. We are talking about black and white evangelicals and their reaction to politics, their reaction to politics in the era of Trump, their reaction to politics before the era of Trump. Is there a new schism growing in, uh, in evangelical churches uh, along racial lines because of President Trump, or is that something that traces back much further? Uh, we had a caller on the line who could not hold uh, to, to talk with us live. Uh, she's a member of a white evangelical church uh, who sits in opposition uh, to abortion, and she sits on their pro-life committee. She says Evangelical support for Trump had nothing to do with race. It had to do with abortion, and that is not uncommon for those choices to avoid 
divisive issues. I'm, I'm wondering, Shaniqua Walker-Barnes, uh, what your reaction is to a statement like that. Um, well, the first reaction I can't say on the air, but the other reaction I'll say um, is, you know, that's a common a common sentiment, right, that it has nothing to do with race, um, that it was colorblind. Um, the issue, though, is that Donald Trump's comments about race were not deal breakers, right. um, the particularly not just divisive, but um, hateful mm-hmm. rhetoric mm-hmm. Um, about Mexicans being rapists, about um, Muslims, about all manner of people. Um, that that wasn't a deal breaker um, for people whose call um, and whose baptism requires them to look beyond skin color, uh-huh, right? So uh-huh. that 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 they prioritize one single issue over all of these other issues is the problem. And so the fact that 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 wasn't a deal breaker indicates that it was much more about race probably than that woman is willing to admit. Hmm. Uh, Roberts Robertson, in your reporting, uh, did you hear that uh, strain of defense here that this is not this is not about race? This is about other things and and that African-Americans who are leaving these churches may be in the eyes of their uh, white counterparts overreacting. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was a very, very common uh, response that this was religious liberty and judges and abortion. And, you know, uh, I wish he would speak more civilly on some of these matters, but this is something else we can work on later. Um, And I think uh, Dr. Walker Barnes was right on in saying that uh, the frustration was, well, this seems to be a deal breaker, not to say that everybody should go vote for the Democrat, but there should at least be some wrestling, at least be some I don't know what to do, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, given these colliding priorities of the humanity of my, you know, fellow worshiper and the, uh, uh, you know, issues like abortion, which I don't think anybody is saying... I mean, you know, some of the folks I talked to were very staunchly pro-life, yeah. but, but, but they're saying this isn't a side issue, you know, uh, and that's what's really driven a lot of the frustration sure. and a feeling that not that there's a new divide, but that maybe that divide was a lot bigger than they appreciated all along. Than they had imagined, sure, yeah. Uh, David on Facebook says, I came to Detroit to work with white evangelicals and had to quit associating with them because of their unbridled support of Donald Trump. I understand that many of them believe that Obama and Clinton are representative of all that is evil in America and that they see Donald Trump as their champion who defeated Satan. I feel so terrible for my former Christian friends. They are so gullible. Marilyn on Facebook says, my faith has not changed. However, like your guest, I have been looking for words of comfort during mass about not only racial tensions in the U.S., but also the tragedies around the world. It didn't make me stop going to mass, but I definitely had to shop around for a new church that acknowledged these issues and prayed for people to come together. Fortunately, I was able to find one in Detroit that I could align with. Uh, Let's go back to the phones here. Uh, Jimmy in Birmingham, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, So some context, I'm a white, uh, I'm not going to say evangelical. It's not a word that I'm a fan of. I I, (laughs) I say Jesus follower. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually grew up in the church. I worked in full-time vocational ministry for four years in uh, a traditional evangelical Protestant church. And I came, became pretty disenfranchised. Um, obviously, the Trump situation um, magnified it, but it started 
back with uh, with the Bush era, um, uh, and and I just so happened to stumble upon a, a book written by a pastor, an evangelical pastor named Greg Boyd, and it's called "The Myth of a Christian Nation: How the Quest for Political Power is Destroying the Church." Mm-hmm. And for me, it it awoken something within me that I had been feeling for so long, and that's this idea that to fuse your faith with some political ideology or agenda or even politician is a very dangerous thing to do. And it's something Jesus wouldn't do. Mm. He refused to even speak about uh, political issues. Yeah. He wouldn't take the bait. The Pharisees tried to help to get that to happen. You know, the people who, uh, who killed him tried to get him to weigh in, and he just wouldn't. He would only talk about the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of this world. And the only way to advance the kingdom of this, of, of God is, is through service yeah. and, and through wrapping a towel around your arm. Jimmy, uh, that's a great, uh, go ahead. That's David. a great perspective. Uh, I'm glad you called and, and I'm, I'm not cutting you off because I'm tired of listening to you talk. I'm cutting, cutting you off because we're running out of time and I want to give uh, Shaniqua Walker Barnes uh, a chance to, to respond to what you're saying there. We've got about a minute left, but I did want to get you to, to answer some of what Jimmy's saying there. Yeah, I think, you know, you're you're absolutely right. Um, the problem is that America's particular history um, of religion and politics um, fuses it far more than it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is certainly um, a, a distortion of the gospel um, for people to align with a political candidate and see that person as a representative of God. But even beyond that, it's just a distortion of common sense, right? Um, and, and, and race colors that so much. Yes. So when we have um, a President Barack Obama, who was part of a church, whose activism in a church had long been known, um, but is still talked about as a, a, not a Christian, a Muslim, not even American citizen. And then you have a Donald Trump. Trump, who we don't know if the man had ever darkened the, the doorstep <laughs> right. of, of a church before his his campaign, but is seen as as God's representative. Race runs all through that, so yes. that even that issue cannot be divorced um, from race and racism in America. Yes. Thanks to Shaniqua Walker-Barnes, Associate Professor of Practical Theology at Mercer University in Atlanta, and to New York Times reporter Campbell Robertson. Coming up, we'll hear from Michael Eric Dyson, author of Tears We Cannot Stop, a sermon to white America. 